Welcome to Taking Back Birth, a podcast for women who know the truth about birth and those who want to explore the path of radical birth love. I'm your host, Marin Green. Taking Back Birth celebrates the power you have to make decisions in alignment with your own truth. Decisions not subject to anyone else's authority. Decisions that create experiences that will change your life. Taking Back Birth is a production of the Indie Birth Private Contract Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Welcome to Podcast Sunday. It is indeed Sunday, and it's been a very busy weekend, personally and with birth stuff. Let's see where to start. Well, we had a free workshop here in Berea, Kentucky yesterday, the free indie birth workshop that I've been teaching, Margo's been teaching. Uh, Margo wasn't here, but we've been teaching it in our respective locations for about six years. And I'm definitely going to talk more about that because I kind of inspired myself yesterday <laughs> um, by the videos and the amazingness that I've had the honor of witnessing over the last bunch of years. And every time, I get the opportunity to teach this. I really, really love it. And I think that's so unusual, right? Especially because I don't get paid to do that. And you'd think, you'd think I'd get bored after a while. I have changed the workshop over the years, but it was so inspiring. It was just so inspiring to sit with this group. And I want to talk more about my call into birth as a result. Other happenings, there is a mama circle here today, and I'm super excited to offer this for the first time here. So this will be for indie birth community women, so mainly clients of mine, and then some other cool women that totally align, and they're either pregnant or have had babies recently. And I'm going to kind of poll the group today, I think, and see if people are wanting to extend it out to people that have birthed, you know, but maybe not super recently or for themselves as they go further into their postpartum. Are they wanting to keep coming to this mama circle? I think there's something so beautiful about putting pregnant women, especially those that have never birthed before, in a room with postpartum moms and just having that relationship develop naturally, you know, that continuum is actually something that can be seen and felt. And I love that. I do think we're going to keep it to nursing babies only. I was a little crazy yesterday at the workshop, to be honest. Um, Some people brought toddlers, which technically is not allowed. I'm not kind of sure how that slipped by, uh, but it was slightly disruptive. So I love children. I have many but there is a time and place. So I think for the mama circle, it'll be nursing babies. And then once your kid's old enough, um, you can leave the kid home for two hours and come hang out at the mama circle. Or, you know, maybe you'll be done. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. But it's really a creation of the community here. I am happy to host it. I am happy to have it here at my office. I'll probably be present most of the time, but my idea is that this circle is really going to run itself. And if I'm not here, uh, for whatever reason, if I'm out of birth or something, it's still going to go on. And these women are going to make their own connections with each other that are going to feel so valuable. So I'll report back, but it's been a while since I've hosted that kind of thing. And I'm looking forward to just seeing what is needed, really. I don't have a grand plan. I think creating a circle, a sacred space always feels important in these instances. 
a place where women know they can speak openly and it will not be shared. And then just seeing if people want to pick topics per month. This is a monthly thing. Um, And or I have some journals for everybody. I found a really cool one that I liked online and just kind of went for it and got everybody one. And we'll see. We'll see if that's resonant and if that feels helpful. But I definitely have learned a lot over the years of hosting these with my clients in Sedona. Um, Sometimes I felt it to be a little bit draining, to be honest. So I'm going to try my best to not make this my production personally. Like this is just my space and what happens happens. And I think it's just going to happen organically. And I'm just really, again, honored and excited to help grow the community here. It seems like the women here, and there's a lot of new people too, just like us, which is very cool. seems like the people here are really wanting community and they don't just want it because I felt like in Sedona, people would say they wanted it, but the proof is in the action. And here people show up. They literally and figuratively show up. So they're creating the community, happy to be a part of it. And just so, um, yeah, so like thrilled to see where it goes and how it develops and what a, a real community really looks like. I was texting with a friend this morning who used to live in Sedona as well and doesn't anymore. And, you know, just kind of had an exchange about her wanting to move back there and me not relating at all. Like, of course, do what you will, do what you want. But my two cents is, oh my gosh, no, I don't miss anything about that place except the land, except the sacredness of the land, Um, which might sound strange, but you know, it just was like game over for us. So everybody doesn't need to feel that way. They certainly don't. But in the text exchange, I was kind of saying that I feel like I finally have a glimpse of what community actually looks like. And I don't know that any of us, I mean, very few of us really know what that is. I don't. I think most of us wish we had community and we have ideas. Anyway, it was just a contrast to thinking of our own, um, not own, our old community. And lots of great things happened there. But now in comparison, I'm like, oh, that really wasn't community. (laughs) It was just a bunch of people living separately who sometimes got together maybe. And here it just more feels like, oh, people have your back. Like if I need something, there are people I could ask. And I think that is the start of a community. So I am excited. Uh, Another big happening this weekend before I get on To the bulk of this and before the mama circle begins is that my daughter Amelia has headed off back to Arizona for about two months and I might cry and I might not cry. Uh, I'm trying not to be sad. Like this is a great thing. This is a young woman who is confident and beautiful and smart and capable and I am so proud of her. So to see your teenagers go off and yes, I'm totally going to cry. Um, it is sad in this, in this like poignant way. It's not sad like anything bad has happened, right? Because only good things have happened. There's no negative reason that she's exploring the world. It's not like uh, she even is sick of us or wants to get away from us. We all had a very teary goodbye this morning, but she wants to explore and live her life. And how could we not support that? That's what all of us should do or maybe would have done if we hadn't been in the confines, and I'll speak for myself, 
of college for four years. So she doesn't have that. She doesn't have that restraint. She has kind of an open door, an open map, and she's decided to go back to Sedona for a couple of months and hoping to get some photography work. She's familiar with the place. All of the things like that make sense in the ways that they do. Um, As the mom, of course, I think there's things that don't make sense, but that's okay. She'll figure them out. But saying goodbye to her this morning was sad in the ways that it is when you're the mom and your daughter is one of your best friends. And, you know, I have a close relationship with all of the kids and particularly my daughters, my oldest daughters, just because I guess they're girls and the ages that they are. Uh, We go to the gym together, you know, we hang out together, we get coffee together, we do all sorts of things. And so Amelia not being here, it really is going to be weird and will kind of leave a hole in my life. So sniff, sniff. Uh, Funny story, though, just to make uh, some kind of comedy out of it. She very lovingly and sweetly bought me a gift that she waited to give me until today. And that's very Amelia. It's very thoughtful and sweet. And also, if you've ever read the books Amelia Bedelia, uh, she's also that. It's also like a little bit unhinged or, you know, just sort of like messy. Like that's just the way she is. She's an artist and she, yeah, she's just not a type A sort of person. Um, Things are, are just what they are to her. So she went to this effort to buy this gift and of course, you know, was so excited to give it to me. And last night realized that the gift was gone. And the little bag that the gift was in was shredded on the floor in her room, which she shares with her sisters and a puppy. So it became clear at some point that the puppy had probably eaten the gift, which sounds ridiculous, but he is a giant lab puppy and there is nothing that he won't eat. There is nothing. I have seen him eat bouncy balls. I have seen him ingest absolutely anything and everything he can get his giant mouth on. So she was annoyed for sure. She was upset and angry that this dog had eaten this gift. Um, I, I thought it was a little bit funny, but of course, you know, was sad and, and wanted this gift. So it turns out that the gift uh, was these, I guess, identical or close to identical little hedgehog figurines made from fluorite, which is a really cool stone. And she had gotten them recently at a witchy kind of store, right, where they sell all the gemstones and, you know, just thought it would be sweet for she and I to have the same little thing, which, yes, would have been so sweet. (sighs) So long story short, uh, the one hedgehog did show up this morning. It was headless. So I guess Ollie, the puppy, thought it was a chew toy, this tiny little thing. And so I have a headless hedgehog now, but it's very dear to me and it is still very sweet. And fluorite is still, you know, a very cool thing to have. And so it's on my little altar with all of my gemstones. So she is out a hedgehog. We're not quite sure what happened to the other one. I do know where to get them. And maybe I'll do that while she's away and send her one as a funny gift. But it definitely added some laughs this morning to what could have been, I guess, more sad and 
really that's our house. That's our house in a nutshell. So I actually think it's kind of perfect. It's really perfect for Amelia. Not that she doesn't give wonderful gifts all the time that are totally 100% together and intact. This just wasn't one of those times. And this puppy really is so um, puppyish. He is really sweet and smart and also just totally terrible. So bon voyage, Amelia. May you return soon. May you be held in protection and health and happiness and joy. Uh, She and I are totally soul connected. Just little, little side story here. One last thing before I start. Um, And this totally goes along with my witchery class, which I plan to teach in March. So um, I don't know, maybe the link will be somewhere. But uh, Amelia and I are soul connected as I think we are or can be with our children, with our partners, with our friends, with anybody in our close circle. And just how that shows up, of course, can be different. And sometimes it feels like we're not as much, you know, maybe with a person. But lately, I think anticipating Amelia's departure, I've had dream after dream after dream with she and I. And it's funny because right before that started happening in the last week, she had said to me something like, do you ever dream of me? Because I often do dream of Rumi, for example, or ever. And at that time, I said, "Hmm, I don't know. I mean, I really haven't had a dream with you in it in a while. Well, then I started having dreams every night and they've been all over the place in different locations. So it's just sweet for my mama heart to know that we are connected and that even when our kids or whoever is away from us physically, we can make the effort to stay soul connected to them and feel them and they can feel us. And that's how we stay close. You know, that's how we don't drift apart even when we're not in the same house. Oh, and of course, there's a million phone calls too, I'm sure, that Amelia will um, give (laughs) while she's away. That's kind of a thing for her. And that's fine. I love it. Okay, so Mama Circle coming up here. I just wanted to give this quick-ish story to which there are pieces already probably all over the internet from our book to other podcasts I've done. I realized that. But I was struck yesterday, again, in teaching this free workshop. It's three hours. We show birth videos. It's great. I was struck by how inspired I felt. Again, not not by myself, (laughs) um, but by the experiences I've had and my passion that really doesn't seem to die ever for this work. And so it got me more to thinking, like, how has that evolved for me? How did I get this call into birth? And then I remembered that Margot had asked me a while ago to write a blog post about how I got into midwifery as something to put on the school site. So for me, this is probably a lot easier anyway. So here it goes. Here's my story and my reasons for how birth work called me. When we're teaching in our workshop, Uh, But more importantly to this topic in our doula program, the Birth Warrior Project and the Midwifery School, the way we start both of those trainings, for lack of a better word, is with the investigation for our students into, we call it, the why. 
You have to know why you're in birth work. You have to know. Because I've said, and I still believe this, probably every woman, nearly every woman out there has a connection to this topic. Even if she hasn't birthed before in this life, I really do think that deep, deep down, we're all connected to the knowledge and we won't all be midwives. We won't all be doulas in this lifetime. But again, there's just something that feels familiar. That's not enough of a why, in my opinion, in this lifetime where we're really being called, I think, to find our individual reasons for being here. You know, it's not enough to just be like, oh, I'm a woman. That's the reason. I mean, you can go with that. But if you're one of our students, we ask you to dig a little bit deeper. So many examples out there. Maybe you are one. Maybe you have one of women that are in birth work for a very specific personal reason. And that's not wrong, but that's the beginning of the journey. That's the beginning of the why. So, you know, I'm thinking just of stories I've heard lately. Um, and it's not about anyone in particular. These are just like stories that a lot of people share. And they can be on either sides of the birth coin. So on one side, it's like, I had a great birth. I want to be a birth worker. Cool. You know, that's the beginning. That's the beginning of the why. And then on the other side, of course, and I think this does happen a lot and maybe more perhaps women that have had a horrible birth experience, right? All kinds of trauma in whatever way. Maybe they've had a cesarean and that becomes their why. So I'm not going to over comment on that. I think that scenario is really common and it's not wrong. That's a wake up call for someone to have a hard experience and to say, you know what? I don't want any woman to go through this. I think there is sense in that, at least initially, and at least in the initial emotions, right? It feels right to a lot of women to say, I want to save women from the experience I have. So again, it's not bad. That's just the first step. And I guess I've seen a lot of that. I've heard a lot of that with people in our courses. And the encouragement there, of course, it's a long process. It's not an overnight thing. But the encouragement is to like, hey, um, let's go a little bit deeper than that. And or uh, let's help you kind of unpack your trauma. Because until you release that trauma in whatever way, no matter how long it takes, you're not really fit for serving women from a clear place. You're serving from a place of trauma. So again, there's nothing wrong with having that story. But I think when it comes back to this question of why, that's not good enough. And the epidemic really of traumatized women serving other women is something that we all need to be aware of. And it's just like a hamster wheel, you know, Uh, women that are traumatized in whatever way. And sometimes it's not through birth. They're just like have had trauma in their lives. Uh, Maybe it's been sexual trauma, you know, maybe it's something kind of like women related. And they're also the ones that are like, I'm going to be a midwife because I don't think any woman should ever, you know, have to go to a male doctor or whatever it is. Um, But still, it's from a place of trauma. So aside from that, 
there's lots of other possibilities, I'm sure. Lots of reasons why people get into it. Maybe it's their family history. Maybe they have midwifery in their past, in their ancestry. Um, you know, I met someone a couple of weeks ago who said her dad was an OB and I think she was a doula. So, you know, like there's all kinds of ways that birth might have played into our childhood. Lots of women have experienced births of their siblings. I feel like I've worked with a lot of clients who have been present, uh, not necessarily home births, but, you know, been present for the births of their siblings. So that's another way that women come in. And so I'm not going to continue to comment or speculate on other paths in, but just giving you some background. My path to birth was mine and mine alone. And I've heard it be said that to be a midwife, to want to be a midwife, it's because you care, maybe overly care, about one of three things. Either mothers, babies, or birth. And I don't remember where I heard that. And I don't know who to give credit to. But it was years ago, and it's always given me that to think about. And so in thinking about this podcast, I was like, wow, you know, that's changed for me over the years. It really has. So I'll get right into it. My first birth was a hospital birth. That happened. My second birth was a home birth at the last minute with an unlicensed kind of underground radical midwife. And it was after that, that I wanted other women to have the same experience I had. So it was fairly positive. It wasn't after my hospital birth. It wasn't, you know, saying, oh, the hospital sucks. I don't ever want women to do that. But there was a little bit of that because after the home birth, obviously, I could draw the comparison. And I thought, no, I want women to know how amazing they are. And I want babies to not be taken from their mothers. So I kind of had both things going on. And that is negative in a sense, because it wasn't my perspective to say, I want babies to be born peacefully and at home. No, my perspective at that time, because I had the contrast was, I don't want babies to be taken from their mothers. So Initially, it was kind of two reasons that overlapped. And that's how I started my apprenticeship, is just feeling like babies deserve better. I didn't want them taken from their moms. I had experienced both. Uh, My first was taken from me for a couple of hours after birth. And then, of course, the home birth wasn't my son. And then also just the amazing way I felt on top of the world after my home birth. I couldn't ignore the draw to midwifery. And so I didn't concretely think about it. I mean, I didn't have a course at that time. I wasn't really being mentored or guided by anybody. I didn't have anybody say to me, so why are you doing this? I was just kind of following my heart. And that's also a way in. I think at some point it is still great to ask yourself the questions and see what's hiding behind. But many of us do just kind of get in because we feel called. We don't really know where it came from exactly. It's not something we planned. I was a musician still at the time, and I certainly didn't plan this. And actually, 
I didn't even love the idea in my brain, if that makes sense. Like my heart wanted to do it, but my brain was like, oh man, like really? You know, what if you don't like this thing because you've just spent 10 years in music or more and now you're quitting that. So, you know, putting in more effort, more time, more money to like a new profession. How do you know? But it really, really was a calling. And when I think back on just the synchronicity of things, of course, it was perfectly aligned. I've talked about apprenticeship before. I know people work really hard to find one. I didn't. It just fell in my lap. Absolutely fell in my lap. In fact, I was asked to do an apprenticeship by the woman I ended up starting with. I went to visit her. I didn't even know her, but she was a friend of my midwife. And while I was interviewing her for a project, she asked me if I wanted to apprentice. So how cool is that? And then one thing led to another and I met other midwives and some of them are still in my life and some are not. But it was all just perfectly timed. And to me, that is a calling to just have things unfold in front of you. And of course, now with the benefit of hindsight, even more so looking back and not only the apprenticeship, but all of it, the license, the giving it back to the state, like everything that has unfolded for me in birth, in birth work has been divine. It has been absolutely protected and really mostly sacred experiences. So again, to me, that's a calling. And I know many people feel that way getting into birth work. Um, Some, maybe they don't, you know, it's more practical. It's more like, hey, I like this thing. I might be good at it. And, you know, maybe I could make some money or something like that. But for me, it was just a pure calling. So I got into it initially for the reasons I've stated. And then... As I got further into it, I got further into my own trauma, of course, because that's what happens, as I've kind of recommended. (laughs) Recommend happens, even though I don't know that you can completely control it. But as I got deeper into it, of course, I had memories surface or other experiences that made me even more defiant of the medical system, really. And I think that is also a theme for many of us when we first get into birth work. It's a, oh, we don't want that. And women shouldn't have that. And by that, I mean the medical system. So it's a defiance. It's a rejection. Um, I really feel like that's mellowed out now, you know, years and years down the road. But initially, that is the fire. That's the fire that gets us in. It's the us against them thing. And again, I don't think there's anything wrong with that because most of us were raised or maybe grew up in a completely medicalized mainstream culture, society. And so this kind of hits us in the face when we're older and we're met with what feels like passion and fire. You know, it's a rejection. And I think that's just sort of how history goes in a sense too for some people. So I started to encounter that as I was in birth work more. Um, So for example, before I even had children, I had a really big experience in the medical world with pap smears and cervical health and um, ended up with a surgery on my cervix when I was... I want to say 20 years old, which is crazy because that's pretty much what Amelia is. 
And it was horrifying. And I was just uneducated. Really, at that time, the internet was not a thing. So gosh, I mean, there were just so few places to learn anything or get resources. And I remember just feeling so confused. And it was such a great learning experience in hindsight. It was incredibly hard to be in. There were so many ways that I was tested without knowing it, of course, to trust my body or to not trust my body or to trust them or, you know, any of it. And thankfully, it worked out. I mean, I did have this surgery, which is very horrific. And of course, I wish I could go back in time and undo, but I can't. Um, Although I think the body is amazing at healing. And I never bought into it in a sense. I knew deeply that nothing was wrong with me, which of course doesn't explain why I got the surgery, but I was bamboozled. I was bamboozled by this female OB who was very new in practice and probably, you know, 30 years old at the time. Um, I never sought a second opinion. Like there were so many things that my young, naive, immature self didn't know to do. And so it was really hard. And, uh, you know, it was a couple years of just kind of working through that. But I see now that it was so vital. It was so vital on my path to midwifery. And, you know, not long ago, and I think I shared this somewhere, um, not long ago, I feel like I was still uncovering some of that trauma in my body. So, you know, to be put under, right? To be put under for a surgery and have your cervix and uterus messed with, um, that's kind of a big deal. And I didn't realize that for a long time. And, you know, my body did a great job of, of, of getting pregnant and birthing my kids. So I think on some level, I had just stuffed it somewhere. It became this subconscious memory. And again, um, I had thought of it, but it, it's really been pretty recently that I feel like I was able to move the energy in my body around that par- those parts of my body and, and sort of remember all of this in more detail and and think about it and cry about it and and release more trauma. So that definitely was a major player in me getting into women's health in general. It was absolutely a horrible way to be treated. And, you know, I think it's easy to say, and I've said it, I've said it for sure, like, well, we can only lose our power when we give it away. And that's so true. But I was so young and I didn't even know that's what I was doing. Like, I didn't even know that this was about my power. I didn't even know how to keep it or, you know, how to listen to myself or to talk to my body. So there were so many pieces that I didn't have uh, that I now have. And I wouldn't if it wasn't for that. So that was a traumatic thing that again, um, I think does play a piece in my work and I don't feel shadowed by it. So I feel like I'm not traumatized anymore. I've released that, but it's still super important to me to respect people's bodies. Right. And, and we all have that belief, probably many of us, many of you listening, but how do we come to it? How do we come to actually live that? And I think we only come to living it in a lot of ways, when we've experienced it, and and not from a place of trauma, we've experienced it. Maybe it was traumatic. We clear it and we move on. And now it's this powerful thing where it's like, oh my gosh, that's your body. And you know, if someone comes to me and they're like, oh, my doctor said ABC about my cervix um, because of what I've been through, I would share that and also say, you absolutely know, you absolutely have options. 
Um, also, don't rush into anything. Like, why on earth did I rush? Why was I rushed into the surgery? I was not dying. I did not have cancer. Nothing, you know, now in hindsight, nothing was actually wrong. It's horrifying. So, um, yeah, just like full disclosure there that sometimes these are the experiences that really get us in and have us deeply, deeply care. And again, for me, deeply, deeply trust my body. Not that I didn't have work to do after that. And I think I still have work to do, but there was a deep trust in the end for my body through that whole experience. And again, knowing how capable our bodies are of healing, of being vital, um, you know, unless we choose to pathologize everything, which for me is a, another foundational belief in midwifery care that absolutely I will focus on someone's health. And if other signs show themselves, then they can be addressed. But absolutely always looking for the dark places um, is not helpful and it does not make a person feel good and it does not allow their vibration to be the full expression of themselves. So, so many cool things have happened to me in my life uh, that have affected my work in birth. So yeah, there was that. And then I'm kind of going backwards, but this is how it sort of went in my head. Um, At some point, you know, I needed to deal with the trauma I also felt from Amelia's birth. So I didn't start with that. I really did truly get into it because my home birth was so transformational. But at some point, I needed to deal with it. And I did. And that also has really shaped me to understand fully that we receive what we need at the time. And if we aren't specific about, you know, where we'll go or what we'll do, then we're going to get what they do there. So one of my favorite lines that I'm sure other people have also said in their own ways um, about the hospital and hospital birth after I kind of processed mine more and my anger around that experience and them taking my baby, et cetera, is you get what you get when you go there. And my husband and I say that to each other all the time. And so, you know, that allowed me to take my power back because I had given it, but you get what you get when you go there. And I think there's just an honest truth to that. And looking back at life, you know, when you're younger, when you're more naive, you just got to accept that sometimes you didn't know. And now you do. And I find that to be useful even now in working with people. Like there's nothing wrong necessarily for people wanting the hospital or seeking medical care. But the truth is you will get what you get when you go there. And, you know, that's all there is to it. So kind of going back and healing from Amelia's birth and realizing that I was part of that. Like I, it didn't happen to me. I wasn't a victim to her story. I was a full participant. And again, I I can't speak for everyone, but I'd guess a fair amount of women in birth work that have birthed or maybe had other traumas. um, It's the same for you. It's the same thing. We have to go back and realize where we're still holding on to being victims And if we are, then that's the work because we can't fully show up and serve women if part of us is like, well, they did this to me. Uh, Because then, you know, if this is the only reason and it's not, you're probably going to attract clients and women to work with that maybe want to do that to you and say, hey, you told me and you didn't tell me and now my life is miserable. Um, No, 
to be powerful. You have to own your choices. And when you do and you clear the places where you were holding on to that victimhood so strongly, even subconsciously, uh, then it changes your life and you can move forward. So let me think. I think there were some other things. Um, so this is just like this this uh, journey that I'm kind of pinpointing parts of my life that don't make any linear sense because they're not in order, but just taking you through how it's happened for me. Um, so yeah, Egan's birth, Amelia's birth, all of this other health stuff. Um, certainly my apprenticeships, you know, and and pathologizing, in a sense, my own pregnancies in a way when I was a student, just because I had access to so much information. And I did work with women that were pretty trusting in the process. I really do think that about the people I apprenticed with for the most part, not the one in Arizona, but the ones earlier, the ones in the Midwest, Chicago. Um, they really were birth trusting and um, all of that. But I was a student and I had to go through the motions of feeling what it felt like to worry about everything or to look things up in textbooks. And again, it was another stop on the journey to why I'm here, how I do this work. Um, I've decided, you know, that's not ultimately helpful to me in my work as a midwife. I've mentioned that. And then also even as a mother. So, so many of these stops along the road of my midwifery journey have also mirrored my mothering journey where we don't go looking for stuff. You know, we look for signs of health and we support the immune system and we support the full person and getting outside and getting sunshine and emotionally being well and all of that um, over you know, let's look up on Google all the things that could go wrong. But I definitely went through that. And I think that was necessary as a pregnant woman. I think that was necessary as a midwifery student to process, again, just trauma, held trauma from maybe my childhood. I don't know. But just moving through that. Uh, I'm not going to get every place on the map because I didn't make notes for this podcast. I just thought I would freewheel it. I know there are more. Um, There's been so many, I guess. You know, the whole license thing has been huge. Just realizing what autonomy is and how a midwife can play into that and how most midwives don't play into that with licensing. I'm not going to go into all that. I think most of you are um, up to speed with that. But obviously, that was a huge shift for me. And it became less about babies and and even mothers and started to become more about freedom. And I think that's when indie birth felt like it was really born for me. And of course, that's when Margot got on board. So that was a really defining experience that has made me realize overall that I'm not even in birth work because of birth. Uh, I'm in birth work because birth is an initiation and we are human and we should be free and autonomous in all areas of our lives, not even just birth. But yes, in the initiations to create sacred experiences that affect us and make our lives worth living. So I'm really kind of like speeding it up here for the sake of time. Uh, but yeah, that, the license thing, um, the birth of my son, Rune, his story is in our book. And I was just talking about him yesterday, and I've mentioned it on podcasts many times, where he was the one that needed to be resuscitated. He was the one that was airlifted to a hospital, sort of against my consent. Um, and again, another opportunity to work through who's in charge, who's in charge here, because 
I let the midwife be in charge. And so, again, that feeling of victimhood, that feeling of this was done to me, this feeling of she ruined my birth. Um, I can laugh about it now because I've worked through that trauma and I see that that is not true. And in releasing that, I am powerful again. And I've explained many times how his birth has just so severely impacted me positively, actually, um, in the ways that I feel like I can hold space for emergencies, specifically resuscitation. Um, It's something that I don't ever want to take away from a mother, you know, because it was done to me, but not from a place of this power struggle, from a place of like, this is your baby. You are perfectly capable of giving your baby breaths. That's all. Uh, Returning the power to its rightful source. So I guess that kind of sums it up, returning the power to its rightful source, which is the mother, um, the mother in all the ways. So the individual mother, the earth mother, um, returning, returning to ourselves is really what birth work has become to me. And I'm liking that today. It's feeling like really good because there are moments throughout the week, throughout the months where it becomes about the minutia. And I think that's okay too, right? But I'm writing a bunch of Instagram posts and they're about this and that and the little fine points of physiological birth or the politics of midwifery. And I love that stuff too. But I'm grateful for this opportunity today to just kind of like back up and be like, hey, Uh, I'm in birth because life matters, because freedom matters, because autonomy matters, because we need a radical shift in our lives, because we need a new paradigm, a way of thinking, a way of being, of being in community. Um, All of these things have become actually why I'm in birth. And I guess that makes sense. I don't know that you stick it out 15 years just because babies are important to you. I mean, you know, there are midwives, I'm sure that do. And don't get me wrong. I care about babies. I really do. I love babies. But that is not why I wake up every day necessarily. It's really the bigger picture of, yes, those babies being born in love and peace are going to change the world. And that's what I really care about. I want to change the world. All right. I think that's a pretty good blab on my why and how I got called to birth work. We'd always love to hear from you. So give me an email. Shout out Marin at IndieBirth.org and tell me your story. I'd love to hear from you. Have a great week, everybody.